This evening's reading is Revelation chapter 13, and that can be found on page 1927 of the Church Bibles. Revelation 13, beginning at verse 1. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard that had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he'd given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the tabernacle of the test... No, sorry, there's two pages. I'm saying. He deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honour of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to breathe breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom, for it is man's number. His number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would cleanse us now, each one of us, from all our sin, 
everything that clings to us and puts a barrier between us and you. We thank you for the saving work of Jesus, that we can come before you now, weak as we are, and know that we can have fellowship with you and that you want to teach us, to bless us, and encourage us. We give you this time now and ask that you would open up your truth to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wouldn't have chosen this chapter for my comeback after a four-month health-related absence, but here we are. And actually, I love the preparation, because although it is a difficult passage, and much of Revelation is difficult, there's lots of lovely positive stuff in there within a few verses. A lot of it is, let's get our head around it first, and then we had for those key verses about our response. What was it written for? But before we get there, because it's me, I'm going to give a bit of background just so we've all got the context as we uh, un unpack this passage. The revelation makes a clear link between what God is doing in history amidst all the chaos, and we have plenty of chaos around at the moment in this country, all the uncertainty and all the sinfulness that's around in society today, but that was the case then as well. This revelation emphasizes that the entire truth of God's plan is found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He's at the heart of it all, the spotless Lamb of God. Somebody has said, I think it was John Drain, that revelation indicates the sufferings of faithful Christians are not a meaningless interlude but a powerful response against all forms of evil and rebellion against God. And in our rather toned down church, where we in this country don't yet face huge persecution, we just need to remember that this is serious stuff. And whilst what was applicable to the church, the early church, as referred to in Revelation, uh, may, it may not come in that way to us, we need to be on our guard and to be alert. Unlike other Jewish apocalyptic books of the time, which were full of imagery, you know, sort of CS, victorious news for the church, there is victory in here. The other apocalyptic works were dramatic and pretty over the top, but they did not contain much hope at all. There was no notion of eternal life, for example. So this book has conventional Jewish language. It's got vivid Old Testament imagery, but it is distinctly different from the other stuff that was going on at the time. It is rightly, I guess, the most popular book for persecuted Christians, as well as those theologians and others who revel in its symbolism and scope for interpretation, misinterpretation, and overinterpretation. That was me, so if you want any arguments, that, that's pure me. But I think it's the case that we can get sidetracked as we read Revelation and miss the point for the church today. It wasn't, I don't think, just meant for the people of the early church, but I think all the best commentators find out why the various books of the Bible were written in the first place. What were they tackling? We need to understand what they meant for the people of the time. And only then can we properly see what's in it for us. But the eternal truths, the principles, 
will tend to make it all much more alive for us today. So, last week, I wasn't here, but I got good feedback about what Richard covered in uh, Revelation 12, which has some rather ominous words at the end, leading into our chapter tonight, chapter 13. In verse 17 of chapter 12, we learn that the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God, God's commandments and hold the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And the dragon, apparently, very clearly, is a picture of Satan. It is Satan. He's been thrown out of heaven. Good news. He's been defeated for eternity but he is still around causing trouble and trying to spoil the witness of the church and of individual believers. So that's the context. We have this ominous picture of Satan still let loose, although ultimately Jesus has the victory. And then chapter 13 builds on that picture of the dragon. And it shows how he's going to go about his evil intent the dragon being Satan himself. Right, let's start moving then. The themes we see in Revelation are dealt with loud and clear. I'm going to use some of them tonight to bring out what John is getting at here in this revelation, or what the Lord is getting at through the revelation he gave John. Let's have a look then, firstly. I'm just going to quote these. Rob doesn't need to follow me through, or it'll get very complicated. But Jesus himself talked about persecution and of course it won't be until his second coming in glory that our difficulties will truly and fully be over this is what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15 which we looked at this morning but the next verse from the passage the, the stuff we looked at this morning if the world hates you keep in mind that it hated me first if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So there's a warning from Jesus, a stark warning to his disciples that they're going to face opposition. And of course, they were to lose their Lord and they were all to face martyrdom. In fact, shortly after, a few years after, we probably this was written by a church that is suffering horrendous persecution. It's not easy. That's why the revelation was so timely for believers at that time in the first century after Jesus. We are called, and this passage makes it clear, within any suffering, persecution, ridicule, we are called like Jesus, to be wise, to be steadfast, alert, and faithful. Whatever Satan and the world might throw at us. And in that, there will be victory. That's the promise of this chapter. Let's get into some of the detail in chapter 13. If you want to check where this all comes from, all this notion of beasts or monsters from the earth and the sea, you need to go to Daniel 7. But not now, please. It'll get you overexcited and you'll 
grew a bit all over the place. But by all means, look at it later. It's amazing how really this part of Revelation is pure Old Testament prophetic um, words for us. So we've got Daniel 7 as the background. The dragon, Satan, uses two beasts in an attempt to ruin, uh, show us. The devil, in chapter 12, verse 9, has been defeated. He's been hurled to earth. He's been uh, completely exiled from heaven. He can't do any more damage there. But he's now causing damage and wanting to cause damage around the earth. He is a liar, the devil. He is a deceiver. And we read elsewhere in the New Testament, he's like a roaring lion. And he wants to lead the whole world astray. That is his ambition. The church is not just a nice, cuddly club of saved people. And we bring other people in gently, and that's very nice, thank you. We are in the middle of spiritual warfare. There is evil in the world. I think to most of us, it's fairly obvious that is the case. And we are not to be of the world in that sense. But we are to be proclaiming the truth and standing up for Jesus in all that. And so was the early church. Without their faithfulness and coping with the persecution they had and the loss of their leaders to martyrdom, we wouldn't be here today. So, I don't want to get over-involved in this, but you may have sensed, if you look at the dragon and the first beast and the second beast, there is an evil, horrible parody going on. You've got the dragon, who equals Satan, age, worldliness, the evil in society, and then that gets personalized. The second beast, John is sharing, there is a well-known person who this is, and he, that person actually is very much part of the devil's plan, and people like him. I will share very soon who we're talking about here. The world as seen in Revelation, is made up of two kinds of people. Those who are at war with the truth or deceived by untruth. So it's those who are followers of the lie or the lies that Satan throws in or those who are of the truth, the true believers. And what I'm going to do now, I'm going to confess this, is just share a few gems from Tom Wright's commentary, Tom Wright, the ex-bishop of Durham, Revelation for Everyone. He makes it very clear. I'm just going to pull out some truths from that commentary where he links it to Daniel and, and so on. And he says, there's no question at all. You see that yourself. This is a, a moving on from Daniel, very clearly so. So what is this monster? What, what are these... Uh, what we hear from uh, Tom Wright is very much that we're not talking about day of the Triffids creatures crawling up into the Mediterranean Sea to attack the Holy Land. We're not going to take any of this literally. But it wasn't difficult for them at the time in the early church, whether they had a code book or not, you know, dragon equals Satan, etc. Whether they had that or not, they knew who John was talking about here. It's quite clear that the first beast, the beast uh, we read about in the first uh, 10, 11 verses here, 
the beast out of the sea, is actually Rome, the empire of Rome, the all-powerful empire, and all its works and all its standards. And it's really that the devil has got in there. And in this awful parody of the Holy Trinity, the evil trinity, Rome at the time was part of that secular society. Its values were all wrong and it was causing grief to Christians. Let's look at verse 4. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? They're completely, uh, those who follow, the maybe doing it out of cowardice, because they would have died probably if they'd actually stood up for the truth, as many early Christians did. So this is a pretty grim picture of persecution, of danger, and of people actually ignoring the truth and all that God wants to do for them. And that's, it seems, why urgently the early young church needed to hear these truths. John is actually saying it is going to get very tough, and it already has been very tough for you. Maybe quite hard for us to relate to, our thoughts of persecution in this country will be fairly weak and weedy. But we know elsewhere in the world that Christians are being martyred today, are being persecuted horribly, and will have no place in their society if they stand firm for the truth of the gospel. So this is not an out-of-date, interesting part of the New Testament. It is actually something which applies today and could yet apply more fully to us even in this country. And what are we to do with all this? What is the, the message for us? What is our response to be? I think we look at verse 10 and we get the answer. The beginning of verse 10 is quite grim. But the message for us is, as it certainly was for the early church, all of this opposition calls for patient endurance. Is anybody here good at that? don't think I am we're not terribly patient if things aren't easy we get a bit upset and wonder where God has gone but patient endurance that should be the mark or one of the marks of a church which is proclaiming the truth and standing up properly for Jesus and faithfulness we must be careful not to be influenced in the wrong way as much of society at that time was and much of society is today by the devil and those who would deceive and require, really, worship of things which have no worth whatsoever, created things. We might say a little bit more about that later, but you will have heard in earlier parts of Revelation about the coinage of the time and the Roman emperors who were meant to be worshipped as God. There was an emperor cult. And, you know, it was nonsense, really, but you wouldn't say anything against it unless you were extremely brave. And probably, unless you were a Christian, quite determined that you were going to stand firm for the Lord. Let's look at the second part of this passage fairly quickly again. We've got the second beast. And who is he? Well, no, this is one of the most famous parts of Revelation, where the actual person involved is mentioned. And I will say a little bit more about that now. All right, then I will. Verse 18, 
This is pointing in at the person at the time, and the Christians in the early church saw it as this person, who is totally against the kind of leader who the church has to be careful of and wary of. It was Nero, the notorious emperor. He was known at the time as the Antichrist, which is a concept that John came up with in his epistles. Three mentions in 1 John, one mention in uh, 1 John, uh, sorry, in 2 John. And it's really the devil and all the powers that he unleashes to ruin the church if he can. The persecution of the Christians began in Rome during Nero's reign uh, in AD 64. He lasted, interestingly, for 14 years after Claudius, the emperor, and he committed suicide, Nero, in AD 68. He was, well, he became more and more unhinged. He was a, a really strange, weird character who, and I don't want to get into all the possibilities of where 666 can be explained, but the commentators I've looked at are all quite clear that the issue is all to do with the fact they didn't have Arabic numerals at the time. They didn't use the numbers that we use. They use letters. Think of Roman numerals. They're not numerals as, as we use them. One, two, three, four. It was letters that stood for initials. And apparently, if you took the Hebrew spelling of Nero Caesar, you ended up, if you put that into Greek, with um, the phonetic symbol 666. So it's really sort of it's actually saying this is the one we're talking about here. I'll be a bit complicated here, but quickly, don't get too worried about this. Some early versions of Revelation talk about 616. There's a one rather than three sixes in the middle. The reason is, apparently, if you translate Nero's name from Hebrew into Latin, you get 616. It all points to Nero, however, whichever way you go about it. Divine perfection would be 777, and the name Jesus, interestingly, comes out at 888. But so what Tom Wright to help us out, because this is uh, complicated stuff, but fascinating and important for us. Verse 14, you see the effect of having a, a godless society, of having godless, deceitful, cruel leaders. And we have a few in the world today. But we have, in verse 14, which is on the next page in my Bible. I've got two Bibles on the go here. He ordered up, he ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. That's a sort of parody of the resurrection. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. And then it moves on. He forced everyone, small, great, etc., to receive a mark on the right hand. Everybody was meant to be uniformly loyal to this emperor, if you like, to the society he represented. To the point that if you didn't do it, economically, you'd be finished. If you didn't have the mark of the beast, if you weren't loyal to this godless emperor, 
then you would not be allowed referred to here in Revelation. So the Christians are, are really up against it already, but it is going to get worse. And it's going to continue on and off right the way through church history. What I want to do now is to pull out, as we finish, nearly, nearly got there, to pull out what this means for us. And to me, again, the key application comes towards the end of the second part of this chapter. Verse 18. This calls for wisdom. Understanding Revelation does. And for most of us, it involves other people's wisdom, other commentators, skilled theologians, and so on, who are faithful to the truth of the gospel. It calls for wisdom, this kind of situation, not just patience and endurance, but we need to be wise. We're up against it, a crafty, deceitful, misleading kind of devil. And if you read the C.S. Lewis book, Screwtape Letters, you'll see in a frivolous kind of way, some of the warnings about how the devil can get in and spoil our relationship with God and relationships in the church. But also, verse 18, if anyone has insight, we need the kind of wisdom which gives us insight to know what is going on out there and how we are to deal with it. Because I think so often we do stand up for the truth of the gospel. How are we to deal with it? Well, the only way is to have the power of the Lord in our lives and to have his insight, his wisdom. And that's the great news, that we are living new lives if we're Christians, and it's in Christ, it's in Jesus. He will give us what we need. So very briefly, uh, I'm going to read two verses which are particularly helpful in our own behaviour in the light of this teaching in Revelation. So firstly, I'm going to read a couple of verses, three verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 to 20. You haven't got time to look at it because I'm going to go quickly. Do not deceive yourselves, says Paul to the church at Corinth. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. In other words, human wisdom so often leads to nothing but death and war, trouble, persecution, all the bad things that we do see around the world and has been around the world ever since the first century, that which is admired in the world and never has been. And then very close to that, Colossians, again it's St. Paul who is giving the teaching again to the church in Colossae this time. Colossians 2, and it's verses 2 to 4. So another short three-verse uh, reading. My purpose, says St. Paul, is that they may be encouraged, that's those in Laodicea, in heart and united in love, encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If we stick close to Jesus, if we listen to him, if we pray to him, look at what the Bible shares about him, 
and his teaching, then we are close to God's wisdom, which will keep us safe and enable us to be faithful to him and to endure. So I've not remotely gone into all the depths that are there in all this imagery of monsters and beasts and the dragon, but I think you can see that there are some clear messages for the We need to be a church, and we need to be individual Christians, whose characteristic is patient endurance, wisdom, and insight, centered on Jesus and our relationship with him. Because if not, the devil is out there causing damage, and we're going to fail. Our own strength will never be enough. But, as we read in Scripture, the victory, the overall victory is won. We are on the winning side. We just need to make sure that we stand firm for that and that we are faithful in all that we do. I'm now just going to read a few verses from Philippians as a kind of prayer for St. John's and for any visitors to their own church because this is what the Lord wants to do with us as shown in this particular rather colourful chapter. So let's pray. It's from Philippians chapter 1. And I'm just reading verses 9 to 11. It's a prayer from Paul to the church at Philippi. Let's make it our prayer for each other, for St. John's and any other churches represented here tonight. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God.